and we're in. Hey, we're back. Hi, guys. Uh, welcome to the Leeds Report podcast. Uh, we are on episode six. Um, so welcome. Um, we have a sponsor today. So today's sponsor um, of today's show is Big Crocodile. Um, so Big Crocodile um, fitness wear, fitness clothing, um, sports and leisure wear, t-shirts, hoodies, um, jogging bottoms, leggings, those types of things. If you head over to um, the Big Crocodile website, which is www.bigcrocodile.co.uk, and also their Instagram page, and I know that they're running throughout the lockdown at the moment some uh, some really cool competitions to win hoodies and, and things like that. So um, thank you to uh, Big Crocodile for supporting us today. Yeah, thank you very much, Big Crocodile. Okay, so... Episode six. I'm Ray Farrow, and I'm Danny Hater. And we've got on our we've got on the show today, Ryan Jennings. Welcome to the show. Hey, you're right, guys. Hi, Ryan. So, how you been, mate? You okay? Yeah, pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, as I said, I think the lockdown's starting to yeah, great now. Saying that now we've been in a lockdown what eight, about nine weeks. Um, it is starting to grind on people. As you mentioned, it's mental health. Awareness Week this week, mm. and very. This is gonna. This episode, I think, um, ties in well with that. If that makes any sense, um, if you agree, Ryan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as we're saying, we were just discussing earlier. Um, you know, the the isolation, and you know, with the things that I'm going to talk about, one of the main things is the isolation, the helplessness. Um, and feeling it's all on you, whereas, you know, and our signposts, and that's how I felt, but, you know, there are people out there, there are people you can speak to. Um, it's just to get the message across, you you don't have to suffer in silence. You know, yeah. there are people, there are services out there that are there to help you. So, you know, hopefully with what I'm going to talk about, you know, it might give people a little bit of um, encouragement or a little bit more of a signposting as to where, you know, where they can go. Yeah, let's hope so. Well, like we said, like we said, me and Danny started this podcast to help each story help one person. If we can help one, then we've achieved our aim. So before we get Absolutely. right into the, you know, the meat and potatoes of this this story, um, let's just get a little bit of background of you. So, where did you um, where did you grow up? Um, so I grew up. Um, I was originally born in Scarborough, North Yorkshire. Um, grew up around sort of the Bradford Doncaster area. Um, my dad's side of the family were all from Bradford. My mum's side were all from Doncaster. So I grew in and around Yorkshire. Um, my dad worked in horse racing. So um, and with horse racing, it's almost like a military family. You tend to move around quite a lot. So uh, you know, outside of Yorkshire, you know, I've lived. Um, like the New Forest, um, all the horse racing towns like Newmarket, Lambourne, Pol- Polborough, Didcot. Um, yeah, I've, you know, I, we moved quite a heck of a lot. Yeah, that's like, um, so it makes school quite hard, doesn't it? Really? Uh, yeah, it did. Yeah, <laughs> as, as it, you said, you know, it's, it was like being in, a, you know, in the military. You just yeah. move around and having to change places all the time. So, um, yeah, the schooling, yeah, it... it that got tough um but you know you know we you know we're a close you know we're a close-knit family you know um 
my mum, my dad, um, my brother as well. Um, he's just a few years younger than me. So, you know, we, we were, you know, a strong family and, you know, supportive family. So, um, you know, we, yeah. Just got on with it. Yeah, we just got on with it. <laughs> for want of a better word, really. You know, we were yeah, just yeah. into it. That was our life. That's how we sort of functioned okay. in the world. So did you play any, did you get a chance to play any sports or anything or you, were you involved in the horse racing? Um, to be honest, I learned how to tack up and ride a horse before I learned how to ride a bike. <laughs> so yeah, and I could probably still do it now without even thinking, you know, my dad was really into it and he showed me from a very early age, you know, I used to horse ride. I was never that great at, you know, being like six foot now as I am I was always a bit too tall to do it um but yeah I mean other sports I sort of grew up with um dark, dark you know all the good pub games like darts and pool you know dark, it's a lot not, of those sports <laughs> yeah because my dad was actually a um a pretty decent you know almost sort of semi-professional level dart player so he oh, showed wow. me how to play and I just got sort of addicted to it and I'm People say it's not a sport. Yes, it is. Because it's the only one I'm actually any good at. But I grew up um, good stuff as well, like cricket, rugby, you know, again, all those Yorkshire sports like rugby league. And um, I'm still okay. a big Bradford Bulls fan. But yeah, rugby, cricket, those sort of things. Um, used to play um, rugby from a school, played hockey from a school as well. Um, pretty sporty then. You pretty much covered most bases there, didn't you? Yeah, that's a, yeah, it's yeah, um rugby and rugby I sort of really continued until like a, a few years ago then um you know I- injuries and stuff like that it just become too painful after a while but yeah, quite sporty you could say. Yeah. Um so obviously growing up uh you had a close knit family but you had some dark times growing up. Um, um take us back to some of the darker the maybe the darker times growing up. Yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, this for me now, this is um, probably the first time I've discussed this really in quite an open forum, and I'm more than sort of comfortable to do that. Um, But yeah, when I was about five or six, I was um, sexually abused. Um, Now, this sort of revelation, this is, it's only sort of now I'm dealing with it, about almost 40 years later. Um, I always knew it had happened. Um, but it was one of those things you really suppress it into the back of my it really suppressed it into the back of my head but yeah five five six years ago we were living in um didcot at the time um it wasn't anybody related or family it it, it was an older boy i'm not sure you know the details about it can't remember who it was um but it was only sort of really the last few months that i've actually the first person i told was um my wife and um when i was going through the treatment that's when i opened up about it um to actually admit when i had my first session which i'll come on to later to actually admit that um it was actually like this huge physical stone that lifted off me um you know and i've only sort of recently told my dad but now you know with the treatment i'm more than comfortable to talk about it um as i said yes this happened without going into the details um, and again, I, I suppressed it for years, absolutely suppressed it for years, but it was always there and it was always affecting me. You know, I was avoiding certain situations or not, um, or lashing out, at, you know, lashing out at people. Um, and with, and recently with sort of things that have gone on again, which I'm going to talk about it, 
brought those memories racing back racing back to the surface where i've suppressed it for so so many years um as in denial yeah that's what i was going to ask ryan so without digging too deep um you put it into the back of your mind did you almost forget about it and then it came up to the surface when other things happened or or was like you said it was all you felt like it was always there but was it a memory there yeah and i think and i think because the age i was um and I'd always had this inkling in the back of my head that something had happened, something like this. And I think over the years, and um, you know, and occasionally it would, something would trigger it. Um, it the memories would come to the surface, um, and again, I would bat it back down. You know, denial. Um, you know, supp- you know, suppressing it. Like I, you know, I don't want to be reminded of that because I couldn't. I didn't know. I didn't know how to deal with it. I did not know how to admit to almost to the point like it never happened Mm -hmm. because I never wanted to admit to myself that that happened to me. It was almost like, and I've said, you know, dealing with it now, um, I've, you know, what happened then about 30 odd years ago to me now is that period in time. It's not a memory. It's still quite raw Mm -hmm. because it's only now that I'm actually, um dealing with it and i think now it's now i I feel i can be open about it um because i was always ashamed and afraid um do you think that's society that made you be like that or is it just something inside you that you just couldn't you think it's you know maybe people around you so in terms of like relationships you weren't just that this wasn't the right time or the right person to actually speak to or yeah um as i said you know and growing up with this in my head and um and i said you know it's only recently that i've admitted it to my own dad that you know this has happened and the only people who know about it um outside of this podcast was my wife and my dad so you know this is you know but i feel now i'm in a position where i can um talk about it but i think at the time and as i said before you know we were a strong strong family you know, a loving dad, a loving mum, you know, my brother, you know, we had a really close family, you know, I was, you know, still keeping touch with all my cousins, my aunties, my uncles, you know, we were such a close family that if I, they didn't need to know that because it would, it would destroy them. It would absolutely destroy them. I always felt it would destroy them if I spoke about it. That's incredibly um, brave of you to, as a young child, to to have those types of thoughts um and to think like that as well to think that it could be like you say breaking up the family unit that is incredibly great and, and again for you to actually be speaking about it now yeah, yeah, to come um, out and, to come out and, and speak about it and um, yes it really is and i think another thing about it as well and um you know with a therapist discussing about it and as i said it for me now it feels like i am back in that time which is sort of an element of PTSD. Um, and I still, and I still feel like sometimes that, that child then when I was going through the therapy, it was just like, you know, do you think I didn't understand really right from wrong at that age? Mm. If you know what I mean? No, you don't. And now, and yeah, and it, especially 30 odd years ago, you know, there wasn't there wasn't information around for 
Yeah, yeah, that's it. I mean, the support networks that are in place now weren't around then. Um, so yeah, you just, you said, that was it. It was just suppression. I did not want to admit it to my family, you know, because I was almost tainted or broken because of it. Um, it, some, it was, they didn't need to know because it would absolutely destroy them. Um, but yeah, I've, you know, I'm, I mean, you know, with everything that's, you know, that I've been going through at the moment with my therapy and my treatment, um, yeah, I'm in, I'm in such a much better place. Yes, that happened. That will never go away. However, I'm in a much better place to talk about it, um, to overcome and just think, you know what, that happened. I'm on a different path now. Um, and I, you know, use those experiences to be a better person. And I think that, you know, this treatment and everything of, you know, being open about it, it's really quite sort of cathartic for me. It's really um, almost like confidence boosting, you know, like, yeah. Allowing you to move on, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that is exactly it. It's finally that barrier that has been in front, that protective shell that has been around me for all these years is I can finally push beyond that. You feel the weight lifted off his shoulders? Yeah, uh, as I said, when I first opened up about it, it was that metaphorical way I could feel it being lifted. Yeah. It was like this baggage that I'd been carrying around for all these years. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, it's incredible. The, the, I mean, you, you mentioned about um, sort of therapy and things, and we do want to get onto that because I feel that it's going to help. I think this is where we can start to, you know, you can start to potentially influence people to get help. Um, but I just want to take you back to um, joining the Navy. Mm. Um, and, you know, talking us through your um, joining up, the reasons behind it. Did you, you know, because obviously you say that you, your dad was uh, into horse races, so there was no family sort of connection or, or was there someone else in the family that sort of, Sort of um no not in that direction not at all really the only person who was military was my granddad he was in the uh, royal artillery uh, many many years ago um but yeah he was the only military person and i think when i was growing up i always and it you know when when you were at school like 13 you had the careers advisors come round and the navy guy I chatted to and he was actually a really sound bloke and that's why i joined so, i mean i didn't join late until i was about 28 and, you know, I did really well at my GCSEs, um, you know, started doing my A-levels, but I was never career-minded at that point. And I think that's when, um, you know, the stress and anxiety of things that had gone on before was really starting to work, work at me. And that's when my sort of battles with depression and anxiety really started to come to the front. So being 18 and rebellious, it was drink, it was um, recreational drugs that sort of a thing so i was never career-minded until um much later and you know um i got married it was a whirlwind marriage um in my early 20s that all went by the wayside so i, I was back in my mum and dad's flat you know sort of mid-20s not a penny to my name getting divorced um and it was almost like oh. like like a moment of it's almost like a moment of clarity for me where it's just like I started having this internal conversation with myself to go, right, you, you need to, you need to sort your life out here. Um, do something. Then I started thinking, well, what do I want to do? Now I worked in care work for many, many years as well. 
um, and I'd always liked care work, working with patients. So I thought, you know, you know what, I should go back to school, go back to university, something like that. Um, so yeah, I looked at nursing and I'm not sure what it was. And I think I was just looking around early days of the internet and I was reading about sort of Iraq and stuff like that and about um, nurses, military nurses who'd gone out. And I was like, oh, military nurses, that's interesting. So I sort of put two and two together. You know, I went back to like, always wanted to look at joining the military, that structure, that discipline, that pretty much job for life. But I also wanted to be a nurse. And then it was just a case of, you know what, bit the bullet. One day, went off into Sheffield, um, spoke to the careers office. And, oh, yeah, we do Navy we do have Navy nurses. Thank you. I want to go for that. And they were like, well, not many people get it. We've never had one through this careers office that's ever passed. Don't care. I want to do this. Um, so yeah, I went, I went through, I attended a selection board um, down in um, Fort Blockhouse, which is in Gosport, Portsmouth. And yeah. And I thought, mm, you know, I gave it a shot. Don't think I'm going to get it. And they rang me up on the train back then just to say that I'd got in. Um, oh. So, yeah, so there was me doing cartwheels up and down the carriages. <laughs> um, so, yeah, a few months later, um, yeah, so January 2007, um, started at HMS Rally for my basic training. Um, and then come April, I uh, went to, I was funded to go to university for three years. Wow, um, good. All paid for, and I was getting Amazing. a salary. My accommodation mm. paid for. It was the best three years of my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and incidentally, I'm now in the chair where I do the selection for the people going through that process now so it's almost yeah. come sort of full circle um yeah and you know as i said 13 years down the line i've got my nursing qualification um i've done a postgraduate study which was all funded so i'm um, like a medical special like a background in respiratory specialization and cardiology as well you know if i ever leave the navy that's the qualifications i'm going to have under my belt um you know i've been running sort of um military nurses departments um become a nurse advisor for medical nursing to the royal navy as a junior rate which was pretty unheard of um you know i've deployed most recent time was south sudan for the united nations back in 2018 um yeah gone around a lot of stuff i worked in hospitals i worked with the royal marines um, and as I said, now I'm in the recruiting job where, you know, I prepare nurses and um, biomedical scientists and radiographers and that student and qualified, you know, and go out on the road and attend recruiting, not so many recruiting events at the moment. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, and 13 and a half years and it's, it's the best thing I've ever done. It's, it's been an amazing career. The, the, and outside of that, the things I've done, you know, the Albert Hall, the remembrance service where we come down the stairs marching on the cenotaph um i went to southampton st mary's last year when england played there as one of the flag bearers you know there's so many things that i've sort of done with my career that now i can actually you know looking back and thinking my god i've actually achieved a hell of a lot in mm. relatively a short space of time and i've never really looked back so um i mean next you know my next sort of goal is um i'm gonna you know go back and do some studying so i'll Ultimately, I want to go into education, so teaching um, student nurses, qualified nurses, more experienced nurses, you know, potentially go to like university teaching or something like that. So that's that's my next goal. Wow. So, um, that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, it's been an interesting career. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, 
so you say you got deployed quite a few places. Did you go to um, operational tours? Um, you know, the main one was South Sudan. I think um, a lot of times I'd always been preparing to go to places yeah. like um, being the military. I I always fixed, you know, I wasn't one of these to like just, no, I, I'm not getting deployed. I was always like either posted or doing a job where I was non-deployable. You know, I'd always go for all the training to go. And then I'd take a job where, no, sorry, you can't deploy, you can't go on the fair, something like that. So, I mean, I was like teed up for Afghanistan, teed up for Sierra Leone and Ebola. And I was always just doing jobs or other roles where I couldn't go at that point. Um, you know, I was on to go to um, Sudan with, um, you know, being Royal Navy 16 Medical Regiment um, a few years before. Um, but I couldn't go on that for personal reasons Um because my mum passed away at the time so um so eventually i managed to get out there for a few months so you know there's plenty of, there was plenty of opportunities to deploy just not went away as much as i'd like yeah, yeah. yeah okay that's cool um so you're, you're married now aren't you you're married remarried didn't you uh, yeah and you said um how many, how many children have you got uh so we've got one together um he's six um sorry seven, he's six now he's seven in about three weeks um and the other boy he is um from hers from a previous marriage okay are you saying to me before that you, there was complications with the birth um yeah so um with hudson who is yeah my youngest so when he was born um 2013 um and this is what re this is the where the PTSD really um, mm. came about, um, you know, um, he was, you know, maternity went fine, everything was like that. You know, he was following, following all all the right, all the right sort of stuff. I don't know much too much about maternity. Um, he had to be induced in the end because he was like two weeks overdue. I mean, he was going to be a big baby anyway. We knew that. Um, and anyway, we were, he got induced and we were in like the maternity room and there was a midwife and a student, uh, and Julie's there and I'm just, I'm just sat down and we, we were in the hospital for like, you know, awake for like 36 hours, you know, just waiting for, waiting for him to arrive. Um, and then at one point, um, I was just sat there. It's about 11 o'clock at night. I was just sort of reading the paper, um, and then all of a sudden, because I could hear the monitors going, and then all of a sudden I could hear the monitors start going mad. So I looked up, looked at her, and the colour had gone out of her face. She'd gone white, white as a sheet, and she, and she looked like half, she looked almost half dead. I was like, what the, what's going on? Um, straight away the midwife and the student run it, pulling the emergency button, um, team of people came running in and i'm 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 stood there like not in control of the situation not knowing what the hell's going on um and it was um and that, what had transpired is um where she shifted her position and then suddenly um the baby got the cord like wrapped around his neck so it was basically effectively choking him um and then he, he, he like compressed an artery or something like that on her. That's why her, she dropped. So it was like, I'm, while this is, all this chaos is going on, um, I'm in the corner not knowing what the hell's going on, absolutely panicking because, you know, for me being 
a nurse in an emergency situation, it was always like, I had, to, you know, I wanted to get in there and help. And the fact that I could not do anything about it, um, you know, and at the time, you know, and now I think about it now with my therapist, you know, she was in the best possible hands and in the best possible place with the best possible people. But that's not how your brain works at that time. It's pure emotion. And I couldn't do anything. Anyway, they, they went, right, we're going for a C-section, emergency cesarean section, we're gone. Um, you can't come in here. So to me, you can't go, because you, you can't when it's an emergency because they have to um, sedate her and everything like that. So I went in, everybody, so from that moment of chaos to like from silence, and all I could hear was just like this, the monitor just, because when you take all the monitoring equipment off, it's just this ping, ping, ping to let you know that the, nobody switched that off. And I was stood in this empty room with this monitor just ping, 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 absolutely going off my head because I didn't know what the, um, and my brain was spiraling. There was no thought process. It was just, it was like a complete rave in my head. I just could not, because I was catastrophizing. I was like, they're dead. They must be dead. Nobody's told me anything. They've rushed out. They're looking at the state of her. The fact I couldn't, I didn't know anything and I couldn't do anything. I just assumed that they'd both gone. Um, and for what was like a few minutes, um, to me, it felt like days. And anyway, they came and got me and yeah, yeah, she was absolutely fine. He was fine. Um, but at that moment in time, not knowing, not being in control, it was like I had no control over the situation and it just, that is where the PTSD really, really gripped. Um, yeah, as I said, looking back now, it's like, you know, as I said, you know, the best possible team was there looked after everything was fine but i can't i i couldn't process that I, I was just going off pure adrenaline and emotion and and just fearing the worst because it was like i'd gone into like a like a fight or flight mode um you know no rational thought i need to get in there i need to help no you're not doing it so i was you know just ah oh, it, it you know if, is it the, the powerless that made you feel the worst and do you think mm. that's because of what happened when you were younger you felt powerless then? um yeah uh, yeah and uh, and i think you know it's interesting and we, we i was speaking with my therapist this morning and we had the same sort of conversation and it is that and we touched on it is that um sense of from then i sort of subconsciously built up this um you know any I, can't, I couldn't take any sort of criticism. Anything could not be out of place, almost this subconscious controlling nature that anything that I couldn't control, I could not deal with, you know, and it was a feeling of if I was left to feel helpless or not in control, I just emotionally could not handle it whatsoever. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah. And it, as I said, it's that helplessness, um, not being able to make sense of the situation at the time it destroyed me it really really destroyed me Can you, again, sorry go on yeah go on i was just going to ask um in terms of the the ptc how bad did it get um so it really came to a boil 
about about a year ago now um things had been getting out of control my anger was slowly increasing um three years ago um lost my mum to cancer and i think that is where i i really got pushed over the edge um the anger i was rebel um not rebelling i was i was just shouting all the time i couldn't tolerate the kids i couldn't tolerate my wife you know it wasn't physical or anything like that but the I was shouting all the time. I just had no patience whatsoever. Um, you know, and I was starting to drink every night, not to the point of getting paralytic or not being able to do my job or being unsafe, but I had to have at least one drink per night. Um, couldn't sleep, anything like that. And it got, and so with um, my, my stepson, he's, um, he, he's on the spectrum. He has a number of different, um, he's autistic, ASD, dyspraxia. He's got a number of, a number of different issues. Um, but when he was um, having his moments, um, I couldn't deal with that. And it, and it just got worse. Instead of like, okay, yeah, okay, he's been really out of control. I can't control this. I just need to walk away. I couldn't walk away. Um, and then I just get into this argument with him. And arguing with children in general is just a fruitless. It's, you know, it's absolutely pointless. But I, I always took it personal from him. You know, he was 10, 11 years old. But I took it personal and I couldn't deal with him. And it, and it made me lash out because it, it, was, it was starting to trigger, um, you know, these memories. Again, not being, not being able to control a situation, panicking, not thinking rationally, um, it was just on pure emotion, and yeah, and it, and it, and it, it got to a point where um, I just basically I grabbed him and threw him in his room. I don't remember doing it, but I did it, um, and and then it was like I couldn't remember doing it, and then suddenly a few seconds later, I was like, I was like three to one, you're back in the room, um, and Julie's screaming at me, and the kids are screaming, and they're upset, and I'm like, what the what's going on? I'm whirlwind in it, absolutely whirlwind, and she basically she threw me out it got to the anger got too much because now it got to a point i mean i'm not i'm not violent i'm not aggressive i'm the most laid-back man you could ever meet but so that was that was not me that was completely out of character you know the shouting was anger got so bad that it got to you know grabbing him and to a point um and that you know in it I, I, I bruised his arm i was horrified i was like oh my god i am not in control and then I, I got thrown out of the house and it basically ended up where um, I went up to Portsdown Cliff and I stood there and I, and I was a few steps away from killing myself. I could not deal with my head anymore. And it wasn't like, mm, you know, maybe this is an option. It was at that moment, it was like, I'm doing this. I'm I'm done. I could I couldn't control everything. I'd become so emotionally dead. The emotion, it you know, it's it's almost physical. The emotion gets so much over the years and over the years that my brain snapped, and I couldn't. I I just couldn't. I had nothing. I had absolutely nothing left. I couldn't do anything physically anymore. I couldn't even think rationally anymore. And and that was it. And you know. And then, you know, what killing changed? myself. Yeah, but you you like you said you on the point of killing yourself. 
what um, what changed then to make you seek? Well, obviously you, you know, what stopped you from killing yourself, and what made you go then? Why well, gotta seek help? You know that's you know. I've thought about this time and time again, and I cannot put my finger on what stopped me. I mean, it, it was I'd got out of my car and I was walking. There was nothing in my head. I was in this weird because I always wondered, you know, how how do people's thought processes go when they do something like that? But at that time, you know, I had nothing in my head. I couldn't deal with anything anymore. That I was, I was like, I was just numb, completely numb inside, you know. And I wasn't thinking about my job or my family or anything like that. I was just like, I can't, I can't live with this turmoil in my head anymore. And and then I did, and I started walking, and it got to. I was literally about five step, ten or five ten steps away from the edge of the cliff. If you've ever been to the top of the cliff, it's like a little metal fence, and it's a straight drop. That's where I got to. I was walking and I had no thought process. Nothing was stopping me. And then all of a sudden I stopped. And I don't know what did it. Um, I don't know if there was that sudden little spark in the deep recesses of, deep recesses of my mind or like divine intervention from my mum looking over me. I honestly don't know, but I stopped. And, and I stood there for quite a long sense of time. And then, and then I just walked and... And I got back in my car. Um, and then, so next morning, I just went straight to some, some, something made me, do, um, yeah, I'm not sure what it was. Maybe I, you know, there are a number of different things. It's, it's, was that uh, the turning point then? So you stood on top there by that fence. Do you think that might yeah. have been that turning point? Where you yeah. Just thought, right, as I said, is... where I stopped, um, uh, yeah, and I stopped and I just sort of looked and it was almost like, because it got to a point because, as I said, there's a little metal fence and I put my hands on the fence and I think that like orient reorientated me back into the real world, like some sort of contact. Mm. And I just stood there and it, and it was, and I, was, I, I just sort of slowly woke up. Um, yeah, and that's when, as I said, I just turned around and went back in my car. Um, so maybe it was the handrail, as I said, maybe it was, some weird divine intervention if you believe in that sort of stuff so so after that moment ryan you um you seeked out for your post-traumatic stress syndrome um yeah it was at that sorry, point because um yeah what, what was yeah because uh, that how, how, how did you go about finding help then so it was that point when and i had that night to think about it you know i suddenly lost my house my family i'd lashed out at my loved ones and I wanted to do myself in. This this is not me. This is not Ryan. So next morning, it was a Monday morning, I went straight to the medical centre uh, on the naval base, presented at fresh cases, and I think the um the doctor he just stuck he, he just saw me and he just opened his door and he went, We need to talk. I, I was broken, absolutely broken. He's like, We need to talk. So and that's and then and then it's gone from there. So um Obviously, there were, you know, potential safeguarding issues, which I spoke to the police about, you know, because I did grab him, you know, just as like, look, this happened. I'm now dealing with it. I'm outside of the, I'm out. I moved out. I moved into um, a room on the base. Um, so straight away, the doctor got me on medication, some antidepressants, um, put me put me on um, sick leave for a little bit. So I went back home um, to my dad's. 
just to get uh, get out the environment. Um, yeah, and then I, w- I went to um, uh, DCMH, uh, Defence Community Mental Health um, guys, um, uh, with and the first meeting I had with my key worker, a mental health nurse, and it was literally just a download from me for two hours. I just everything in my head just downloaded, and that's when I first um, sort of admitted to myself about the abuse from years ago as well. And just that sat there, getting it off my chest was, you know, as I said, I said earlier, it was, I could feel this weight lifting, um, you know, and I, I, you know, I wasn't out of the woods. The past year has been really difficult. You know, the treatment process has not been, it's not easy and it is long. You know, it's a lot, it's been a lot of talking about some really, deep-rooted stuff revisiting that moment in time um stuff like that but you know i've been going to group therapy classes with other people who've got ptsd um yeah because at that as i said that went one once i had that meeting with the nurse and then i met with a psychologist and then i got diagnosed with um, ptsd um mainly from when hudson was born but with my mum dying and the abuse as well, it, it's all uh, compounded to the point where it just blew. Um, and with the, PT- the PTSD is really, I mean, we talk about it all the time, but it's, it's hard to understand how it, how it affects people. It's not just a case of, um, and I always thought, oh, if I've got PTSD, it's only from this. You know, I work with guys who've lost mates on the front line, you know, being, you know, landmines, things like that. And it's like, their PTSD is much worse than mine. It, it's not. They taught me, no, PTSD is individual to you. Everybody, Everybody's brain deals with the PTSD in a different way. And the PTSD is, yeah, it's something that happened. But because it was so acute... Um, that your brain cannot process it as a memory. Um, it sticks sort of in the middle brain, so the part of your brain where your emotions function, um, you know, your fight or flight sort of responses to threats. So when something triggers this thought process, so, so for me, like with, with Hudson, I couldn't watch programs like 24 Hours in A&E or... Um, screaming children things like that because that used to trigger me because I was back in that environment even though I knew it my brain didn't because where that memory resides you don't have a concept of time so when something triggers that memory your brain assumes that you are back in that moment so straight away your 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 defenses have gone up you know your fight or flight sort of responses to it your brain doesn't know any 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 other way to deal with it so when you were obviously at the moment you you are going through therapy as we speak do you have any other um coping mechanisms that you use um that sort of personally help you as well as Um, talking to people yeah so now with with the sort of therapy i'm starting to I'm starting to love myself again. I'm starting to feel, you know, get some more confidence in myself. Um, you know, outside of the stuff I'm doing, like my cognitive behavior therapy, which is all to, you know, help your brain, you know, 
process that event into into a memory so you don't react as much but um the biggest thing i found was talking was opening up i said that first talk i had with my mental health key worker when i downloaded for two hours and told uh, absolutely everything even the abuse it was that was that was a major step that's the hardest thing i've ever done and that was the biggest step that was the biggest part of it admitting talking about it that was huge for me um attending group therapy sessions as well so talking to other people who are in the you know having the same yeah that's what i was going to ask group therapy so you listening to other people's stories as well to make you feel like you're not the only one like obviously while we're doing the podcast is try to understand like to make people feel like they're not isolated they're not going through the situation well they're not the only ones going through the situations um like yours do you know what i mean yeah and that and that was and that was the thing when i started the sessions it was like everybody there had ptsd from whatever situation and the first thing you know the um, the nurse said was um you know we're not going to talk about what caused our ptsd because it's all individual to us you know just because what happened to one person the person next to you might be able to deal with it and vice versa so one thing is just like um but it was it was to again it was that I, I didn't feel alone. I was like, you know what, you know, you know, people have this, but for you at that time, you feel like you're on your own. The PTSD makes in your own head makes you feel so isolated, but just to sit there and some of us spoke, some of us didn't. It, it's how we felt. And they just went through again, like the science stuff, why your brain behaves the way it does and what the, what the sort of future is going to be. Uh, you know what the treatment is laid out and you know and that was massive for me you know just to sit there and you know figure out why why things are going the way it is and you know to not be sort of ashamed or afraid of me and it's it's that old saying that you hear quite a lot about you know i felt okay to not be okay you know i felt yeah i've got this however i'm dealing with this um so yeah the talking and the group therapy sessions as i said just with other people who were going through it, it it just reinforced the fact to me that you know i wasn't alone there were people there there were people i could speak to if we needed to speak in private there were people there to speak in private you know people were on the end of a phone that that was it you know they weren't miles away i could just call somebody so you know and that to me is it, it sounds so simple but at the time, you know, it's a, it's it was massive for me. So yeah, the talk, the talking and talking so people to people understood what you were going through. Yeah, it, you know, it was like a support group. Yeah. So we could all just you know sit and talk and yeah, and that was again the talking. It just releases so much pressure out of your head. For the for me that you know that was that was I huge. I think that's that's what um, people find the hardest bit, isn't it? To, to initially open up when they are feeling that a lot of people in your situation and other situations, you know, have these um, stresses. They tend to dig a hole, put it in there, and then try to forget about it. And um, yeah. but like you say, eventually it rises to the surface, and you know, 
yeah and that and that proved it last year i mean luckily and you know i got to the i got to the very edge you know literally to the very edge if i hadn't dealt with it at that time it's quite possible i would not be here now Mm. you know it got that bad i got to that point where before i did anything about it so you know if (coughs) if anybody you know is going through that and you know my advice is like please talk please reach out you know don't get don't leave it until until the very end like i did um you know and outside the sorry Ryan. before before yeah go on um so you had plenty of warning signs leading up to that yeah that moment didn't you and that's what we want to try to get across to people (coughs) they are starting to feel this pressure starting to feel the temperature bubbling up it's, that's the time when you want to be starting to seek help and not wait until you get to the end of a cliff. Uh, yeah. And I think, yeah. And again, for me, it was, and I could see this now looking back now and I could see the stuff, but I was just always in denial about it. Yeah, you know, the anger and, you know, the increased drinking and, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, it was just, I was never in a good place. I just never felt in a good place ever. Um, yeah, and it, it, that's it. It, it. As you said, it, it just all spilled out and got to a point where I just couldn't do it. So it's you know, if you're recognising stuff, and every and everybody reacts differently, but you know, if the, you know, if, and I think your friends are very good as well. Your friends and family are pointing sort of stuff out. Um, you know, when you're like, you're okay, you're a little bit different, stuff like that. You know, yeah, yeah. Sometimes listen to them because people used to say it to me all the time, and I used to like yeah fine go away but you know actually maybe i should have listened to them because you know they you know your friends and family know you better than some you know yourself sometimes so you know really listen to or whoever it's just you know it's, it's hard to recognize you know different and, and, signs and, and symptoms. if you are a friend and you've, and you've got someone you know who is you know showing these signs then it's I think it's really important that you do let them know. It's sometimes it's hard to say it to someone because you don't want to upset them. But I think sometimes you have to be sort of kind of cruel to be kind, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and like get a grip of them, really. Like say, look, you're going to have to see someone or something like that. Something along the lines of, you know. Yeah, and I mean, it might just be simple as something like, you know, just send a message like, yeah, here, to t- here if you need me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, that's all it takes, isn't it? Just a quick message or a quick phone call. And I think for me, especially when I started, when I really hit that low web and I start, started on the treatment, you know, um, and it was a case of like my, my mate, something like that. It, it would just be so if I was feeling down and I still do have poor days, but sometimes, you know, I'll say to him, look, if I haven't been in touch for a while you know just send me a text message just like you're okay you know and it is just reinforces that yeah yeah you know what i'm fine i you know so just, something just, like that just one with the treatment so were you on medication as well as being um as well as your sessions as well mm. yeah and um and there's a lot of self-help as well there are a lot of things you can do um like first one like physical exercise um Again, something we pay quite lip service to, but you know, when you do physical exercise, once you've done it, I mean, you know, to to get my get my trainers on and walk into the gym or go out for a run, that's the hardest part of the session for me. 
to get there because once you're doing a session or something like that or it might not be the gym it might be a hobby it gives you that single mind focus you know because yeah. when you do when you're going for a run or you're doing exercise you're focused on that task there so you're not mm. thinking about the bad stuff <laughs> or um I think I've started, I, I, you know, I used to be like a graphic artist years ago. I've started doing that again because it gives me my brain a focus yeah. to quieten it down. Um, and simple things as well, like you hear mindfulness technique, breathing techniques. The breathing techniques are probably the best thing I do because, um, you know, just sitting in a quiet place for like 10 minutes, just slowing your breathing down. And there's plenty of videos out on YouTube, mm. but to control your breathing, because if you you know, breathing slowly for 10 minutes, it tells that primitive part of your brain. Well, if you're breathing slowly, that means you're not in danger. So I'm going to slow you down a bit. Yeah, I'm a big fan of um, breathing exercises. One I like to do is box breathing. Mm. Um, that's quite a good one for just calming everything down. And then because you, you're focusing on the breathing, it's hard to sort of concentrate on anything else, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, when you first start it, it's quite hard because you, yeah. your mind just... But once you've done it a few times, and it really does work for me, it's the best thing I do. It's just like at the end of the day, just sit down 10 minutes, um, headphones or a YouTube video with somebody doing it with you. And I said, it just slows your mind down. It just quietens you down for that 10 minutes and just relaxes you. It works an absolute treat. It really does. <coughs> but again, as I said, you know, hobbies, I said, start a drawing, trying to get back into my fizz again. So that's, you know, it's, it's, it's the motivation as well to do it. You know, it, it's, it's getting there, but I'm just starting to, it's, I'm starting to slowly love life again. And, and I think with this whole treatment, it's, you know, a, you, you, I'm not alone. I'm, I, you know, I'm not alone. I'm not isolated. There are people there, but at the end of the day, I had to do this for me rather than, you know, the people who it could affect. Yes, ultimately, but it's me. I had to do this for me. Um, and that's it. And anybody who's doing the treatment, you have to do it for you. You can't do it for anybody else. It has to be you. It's a really strong message. Really, really strong message. Um, what, your, what does the future hold? What does the future hold for Ryan Jennings? Obviously, you've got, um, you're going through your treatment at the moment. Um, and, you know, from from what you're saying obviously you you you're really finding that's really helping and it'd be really interesting to see you know just to see what the future holds for you at the moment yeah um i mean i'm not looking too far ahead at the moment you know i do have ultimate goals um but like with my treatment because i've just started the cbt therapy so it's usually about 12 weeks a session a week or you, you know it ebbs and flows but i'm taking each day as it comes rather than worrying about things that have happened in the past things that are about to worry in the future which was like the worst bit of my ptsd i'm just sort of focusing on today um and then i can sort of ref sit back reflect on a day it's like how was today you know what today was not bad you know hopefully today, tomorrow's going to be the same so i'm just taking each day as it comes i know i'm not going to have great days all the time but they're coming you know I'm getting those good days more and more often. I've got tools that I'm using every day. Um, so hopefully once this therapy, I get to the end of it, you know, I'll see, I'll reassess. You know, it's every, every time it's giving me more and more tools to um, 
to adapt, to cope, you know, to enjoy my life again. Um, next thing after that will be, um, you know, start, you know, get rebuilding the trust with my family. Um, yeah, and, and who knows? As I said, you know, I've got the, got the tools now. I've got the confidence. Um, I just don't want to rush ahead of myself. I'm just going to take each day as it comes, um, do my therapy, do my treatment, and, yeah, just, just enjoy each day. Are you getting a chance to um, speak to your family at the moment? Uh, yeah, yeah, we're on a much better. We're definitely on a, a in a much better place than we are when we are. Um, I'm still not at home yet. I don't. I do not feel safe yet. However, um, you know, I still get. Um, I'm seeing my son on the weekend. You know, speak to him pretty much every day. Um, you know, yeah, it, it, it's getting there. It's it's definitely That's improved. Good hear, That's, That's good news. Yeah. Um, and, and that was it. And I think it was involving them in my treatment. Okay. I said, you know, yes, you need to do this for you ultimately. However, there are people there who to support you. They might not know anything about it, but sometimes just for somebody, you know, people say, I'm here, I'm here to listen. Sometimes that's all it takes. You don't want answers. You just want somebody you can just download to. Do you feel better for that? Yeah, I do actually. Thank you very much. See you later. Sometimes that is all it needs. Just somebody just to reach out to. And that's, that's what you that's what you say to people now or anyone who's listening that's been for a similar situation. That's be your first port of call, would you say? Yeah, um yeah, ultimately in my advice, you know, for whatever you've been through, um, you know, talk, reach out, do not suffer in silence. You know, you, you don't have to you don't have to do it alone. There are people out there to help you. Yes, there are charities, there are organizations, but your friends and family, you know, they're there to help you, you know, reach out to them before it gets no, to... Sure at the moment, it's, it's, um, we're in a lockdown situation at the moment, which can make these um, feelings worse. Uh, yeah. You know, and how's that been for you? That... Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's been difficult at the start. Um but again, I've, you know, it's almost like a deployment for us, really. <laughs> I'm still used to it. But, you know, things like this and um, like me, me and my friends who, you know, they're, they're sort of nurses as well, medical people. You know, we sort of chat. We used, um, we chatted on Zoom, um, you know, and I, sp I speak to my son pretty much every day. You know, I speak to my dad and I still sort of see people, you know, dotted around on the camp. So, you know when you're in the room on your own yeah, it, it, it is it's it can be difficult because you really are sort of left with your own your own thoughts um but yeah it's but i know if i if it, if it gets to me the isolation you know there's you know pe there's people i can reach out to and speak to and i think you know something like zoom and stuff like that i think it's absolutely you know it's absolutely brilliant but yeah, for, you know, for anybody who's, you know, you know, depression, anxiety, you know, in this Absolutely. isolated lockdown, it's, it's just talk to people, just message. Surely you've all got somebody you can talk to, just talk to them. Even if it's just like the Samaritans, the Samaritans are absolutely genius, but you know, just, you know, and it just reinforces that, you know, it, there's somebody out there, there's somebody there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and yeah, and just keep, just, just try and keep yourself busy. You know, the motivation's hard, you know, with this lockdown. I think it is really starting to get to people now. But, you know, just, you know, motivate. Sometimes it might be, yeah, just go for a walk or 
you know anything like that just to you know change the environment you know don't stay is that sitting down isn't it sitting down like you said on your own with your own thoughts that's probably the worst situation you could you could be in when you're Mm. feeling low so keep yourself active that's why exercise is good because it takes you out of your head for a bit um but anything anything like you say drawing or or anything that's going to basically take you away from being isolated in your own head Mm, yeah yeah yeah, and there's lots out there to do that. You know, with the internet, you know, there's, there's all sorts of YouTube. You can do online courses, anything, read book, anything just to change your, to keep your brain occupied, give your brain, you know, because you've got to exercise your brain rather, uh, as well as your body. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, you need, if you just leave it to go stale, it, it will start to do its own thing. So, you know, give it something to do. Stimulation. Yeah. Yeah. But hopefully the lockdown won't be t- won't be too much longer. But no. <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah. Touch wood. <laughs> Let's not go into that. Mine, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. No, thank you. Yeah, thank you very yeah. much. As I said, you know, a lot of the stuff I've talked about today, it's, it's the first time I've really been open about it. So, yeah. and again, brave, really, really brave. Thanks. It is um, brave, but yeah, um, you know, can't thank you enough. Um, no, we. You know, we're pretty sure someone will listen to this and be able to um, hopefully give them strength to sort of seek that help early rather than leaving it like you did. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, you know, I'm proof of that. You know, I'm I'm coming out the other side and I'm one of the most stubborn people I know. So if I can do it, then, you know, hopefully if just one person takes it, takes away a little bit of advice then you know, that that's 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 the best thing for me. Yeah. You know, I'm proof, you know, being there, went through all this. Um, yeah, and I'm coming out the other side. And I am in one of the best, you know, I'm in a much better place in my own head that I have been for as long as I can remember, to be honest. So um, one day at a time. Well done, mate. Well done. Yeah. Being Cheers. strong. Not just for coming on there, but for, you know, going through that tough time, you know, all your treatment and that and staying strong. And, you know, good things have come of that. Cheers, guys. I'm pretty sure that. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Well done, yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Okay, guys. So, who we got on the next, next episode, Danny? So, next episode, we have got Matthew Worrell. Um, so, Matthew's got um, a really, really interesting story um, in and around um, becoming uh, really poorly growing up and how that's affected his life moving forward. Um, so, yeah, really, really interesting story. That I think might um, might resonate with a few people. Um, so yeah, um, looking forward to to chatting to Matt um, in the next episode in episode seven. But um, thank you, um, thank you, Ryan. Uh, absolutely pleasure. Um, thank you. you know, incredible story there, and I really think that um, as Ray mentioned at the beginning, you know, mental health um, week this week um, is certainly um, certainly going to your story. Is certainly going to hopefully. Um, help help a number of people out there you know if they listen you've certainly helped um to to keep talking and things like that so yeah thank you very much yeah okay guys so don't forget to subscribe to the channel youtube channel like uh, and share and also we're on um some other means now aren't we dan yes yeah, so we've uh, new platforms for us obviously spotify and we've now accepted on the uh, podcast app on your apple phone as well so 
Um, if you've got an Apple uh, Apple product, um, you can uh, click into your podcast app, search the Legion Report podcast, and you'll find us and all of our episodes on there um, for you to, to, to sit and enjoy. Brilliant. Okay, guys. Well, thank you for listening, and we'll have you back shortly. Take care, guys. Take care.